Good afternoon and welcome to a table talk, a conversation on race. It's good to be with everyone on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Today is the first day of March. Can you believe it? It's March 1st, 2023. And we're so excited to be having this conversation, a very important conversation on what's happening in Palestine. My name is Erwin Lopez and I am the co-chair of the Beloved Community Leadership Team, which works alongside the Bishop's Anti-Racist Task Force. And as a reminder, the goal of our table talks is to bring awareness to the anti-racism work in the Florida Conference and to equip and support those who are integrating anti-racism into their ministry and their lives. And we believe that anti-racism and the work of the beloved community to be an act of discipleship. We believe this is how we love God and love neighbor. For today, our topic is Partners for Palestine. And our goal today is to bring awareness to the conflict in Palestine and offer ways that we can help. We have two very special guests today, Alicia Kuchileris and Suzanne Holder. Uh, Suzanne Holder is the founder of the Interfaith Peace Initiative and the co-founder of several groups that focus on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. In 2004, she traveled independently to the Holy Land and spent time in the homes of Jews, Christians, and Muslims. She witnessed overwhelming discrimination, efforts to displace Christians and Muslims, and conditions of apartheid that compelled her to act. Upon returning, she helped establish the Divestment Task Force for the United Methodist Church New England Conference, which passed one of the first resolutions to diverse church funds from firms aiding Israelis' occupation of Palestinian land. She led a research trip to the West Bank to document those companies and helped organize United Methodists for Cairo's response to spread awareness of the Palestinian Christians' call for justice. And recently, she's helped establish Partners for Palestine, which calls for a just peace in the region based on equality, international law, and human rights. And she urges Americans to learn about Israel's apartheid practices and the ways our tax dollars, purchases, and investments support it. Additionally, we also have Alicia joining us. She is from Cahokia, Illinois, um, but grew up and still lives here in the Central Florida area. We're here in Orlando, that's where I'm recording from. And she and her family have been longtime members of the Holy Trinity Greek Orthodox Church in Maitland. And Alicia attended the University of Central Florida, Go Knights, um, for her undergraduate and graduate studies, focusing on political science and history with minors in Middle Eastern studies and religious studies. She's a longtime member of Amnesty International, is on the board of directors for Partners for Palestine, which is based here in Orlando. And her first trip to Palestine was in the spring of 2016 with Eyewitness Palestine, where she had the opportunity to meet with organizations and activists on the ground to get a firsthand look as to how the occupation affects Palestinian and Israeli daily life. So we're very excited to have our two presenters with us today and to bring awareness into what's happening in Palestine. And so we're going to first start with Suzanne Holder. Thank you so much for coming. And the floor is yours. Thank you. Thanks so much for inviting us, Erwin. Um, this is a week when much of the world is watching Israel and Palestine. There's been a huge increase in violence there, as you probably know. Um, and then there's also been an effort to change Israeli laws in some pretty important ways. Um, and Alicia and I both, as you said, are members of a Florida group called Partners for Palestine that is trying to make a difference. And for many years, our 
our members have taken part in uh, groups that are advocating peace. And we chose in naming this group to emphasize Palestine because we believe that peace requires justice and equality. And right now the people in the Holy Land who do not have justice and equality are the Palestinians. Um, Americans don't know very much about Palestinians. Most Americans don't. Although billions of our tax dollars go toward Israel's actions uh, concerning them. And you've probably heard a lot of people will say, well, there's no such thing as Palestine. And that's a very common um, misconception. But Palestine has appeared on maps of the world and, and in literature for thousands of years. And its people had a very highly developed society before Israel was established in 1948. We have a lot of pictures from that era on our website. And uh, so I hope you'll go to the website. It's partnersforpalestine.org uh, and, and take a look at them. Uh, today, Palestine is recognized as a state by 128 countries around the world. Now, I've had Israelis stay in my home and I've visited in theirs. I've been to Israel twice. I want Israelis to be safe and free, but I've always felt we cannot protect Israelis if we only understand Israelis. We have to understand Palestinians too. What are their hopes and dreams and what are their experiences? What are the events that shape their lives? And it's our hope that Partners for Palestine can help with that. We usually here in this country only hear about Palestinians when there are attacks on Israelis. So we're hearing about the region now because 12 Israelis and almost 70 Palestinians have been killed in just eight weeks. This past Sunday, 400 armed Israeli settlers rampaged through a Palestinian village, setting homes and cars on fire, injuring 100 people and killing one. But violence of the slow and constant kind against Palestinians is always ongoing. It has continued and it's gotten worse for years, even when it doesn't make headlines. There's a very deliberate ongoing effort by some in Israel's government and elsewhere to rid the Holy Land of Palestinians, both Christian and Muslim. And the world is finally waking up to this reality. Now, I think many people here don't realize that Christians are among those being harmed and pushed out, uh, but they are. And Palestinian Christians have issued two urgent calls to the churches of the world to intervene. I have visited a large Christian farm near Bethlehem that has been declared state land by Israel. And I've followed the 30-year saga of the family who have done everything by the book. This is a Christian family whose grandfather came to the region over 100 years ago as an evangelist. Um, they have all the documents, all the papers required, but nonetheless, uh, the state of Israel has refused to allow them to re-register the land in their name. Uh, so the case is still open and it's one we pray about constantly. Last year was the deadliest year for Palestinians since 2014. More than 200 Palestinians and 22 Israelis were killed. And I have references and notes for all of this data if anybody is interested later. Um, 
Israelis, Israeli authorities almost also demolished or seized almost 2,000 Palestinian homes and structures across the West Bank. And Israel's high court approved the demolitions of the homes of more than a thousand Palestinians because they're located in an area that Israel has declared a firing zone. Last year brought to over 700,000 the number of Israeli Jewish settlers living in illegal segregated colonies in the West Bank and East Jerusalem beyond Israel's internationally recognized borders. In some cases, in East Jerusalem, Palestinian families have been literally moved to the street while Jewish families take over their homes. In other cases, Jewish families have moved into their homes in East Jerusalem while the Palestinian families still live there. And this is something that we would never stand for. And yet it's going on daily. Um, and it's affecting the lives of Christians and Muslims throughout the area. Um, in addition, uh, there's, there's the Gaza Strip, and you may know that it's separated uh, from the West Bank by Israeli land. It, it has been for more than a decade under a crushing blockade. It's been denying more than 2 million Palestinians freedom of movement, severely limiting their access to electricity, healthcare, water, and devastating their economy. In August, Israel launched airstrikes against Gazans as it has done many times in the past. And now you have to remember that these people are in a giant walled prison. It's been called the largest open air prison in the world. Um, they have no place to escape. We've all seen the video and awful scenes of Ukrainians fleeing the Russian onslaught. Gazans can't get out. They have nowhere to go. And yet, repeatedly, Israel has dropped bombs on them. There have also been Israeli casualties from rockets fired from the Gaza Strip. And that's something that we cannot ignore. But they are not all done by, uh, so a lot of times they're done by groups that are trying to undermine those who are in control in Gaza. There's a lot to learn about that. Um, Israel has continued to arrest and hold Palestinians, including children, without charge. As of December 31st, Israeli authorities held 866 Palestinians in prison under what's called administrative detention. And that means that they're being held without charge, without trial, based on secret evidence that even their lawyers don't have access to. Um, so this has been going on. It's one of the, the main ways in which Israel intimidates the Palestinians to have the knowledge that you can be pulled from your bed in the middle of the night, that your children can be taken in, that they can be held without charge and without trial indefinitely. There's a great website that you might want to look at called No Way to Treat a Child. And it is uh, it can tell you more about the arrest of Palestinian children in this system. So I've been involved in this issue for 20 years, and the situation has only gotten worse. It's heartbreaking, and it's a horrible waste of human life and potential. It's a waste of our tax dollars. Think what 38 
billion each year could do for Americans here at home. So like it or not, we are closely identified around the world with Israel's actions. We need to know what those actions are, why they're being done, and what their impact is on other people. So how did I get involved? We can, we can talk about that now or later, but um, I had a series of unrelated things happen to me that just kind of nudged me to learn more about the issues. Um, I think I'd like to go to that after I turn the floor over to Alicia and let her talk about her experiences because I have been to the Holy Land. It's been an amazing journey. I've been twice. I've met the most incredible people and had visitors of many faiths in my home, including rabbis and refugees, uh, people from Gaza, people from uh, Tel Aviv, from Jerusalem, uh, and farmers from the West Bank. It's been an amazing journey. So I'll never forget one of the one of the things we can talk about is a Holocaust survivor who stayed in my home and his incredible advocacy for the Palestinian people. He his his mantra was never again means for anyone. And so there's there's a rich network of advocates in the US and around the world, including many Jews who are working together to stop the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians from the Holy Land. And there are many Jewish groups, including If Not Now, Breaking the Silence and others that are paving the way for young Jews who wanna support justice and equality. And I hope maybe, Erwin, that you can invite some of the, them to your program at another time. We have a lot of resources on our website that include books by Jewish authors that um, have helped my own understanding. And um, again, I hope you'll visit the website. So Alicia's also been to the region with a wonderful group called Eyewitness Palestine. And I'd like to invite her to share some of her experiences that led her to become involved. And Alicia? Thank you, Suzanne. And thank you, Erwin, for the invitation to, to join you today. Um, so uh, I was, um, I've been studying with, or I was studying at, um, at UCF, um, like Erwin had mentioned, um, my focus was um, the, the, the Middle East. And as I, I learned more, um, I saw that there was just a, 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 huge, a, a huge issue going on in Israel and Palestine. Um, uh, like he had mentioned, I work with also, um, I volunteer with Amnesty International, and a lot of their work is based on the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Um, this is a document uh, that outlines 30 articles that say this is what everybody should, um, every human should have the right to these, these different um, uh, things as far as freedom of speech, freedom of movement, uh, the right to marry, all these things. And those points, all of them are um, negatively, or, or the, the Palestinians um, are, they don't have the rights to any of these, these things. Um, uh, the occupation is, um, is basically dictating every part of their life. So in 2016, um, I had an opportunity to go firsthand and see what was happening. 
Um, and, you know, through my work with, uh, with different, you know, nonprofits and my education, I thought I had an idea of what was happening on the ground. Um, but once I got there, I saw that it was just the, the, the tip of the iceberg. Um, the, uh, the difference in the way the um, Israeli communities and the Palestinians um, live are, are completely different. You really do see the, disparity, the, the discrepancy between uh, the two communities. Uh, and it does, it's impactful uh, in, in many ways, um, uh, much like uh, the apartheid in, um, in South Africa, uh, as far as, you know, who you can marry, different roads you can travel on, um, the cars had different license plates, uh, you could try, uh, you know, buses that you can, you can get on, those sort of things. Um, and even as an American citizen, um, I had the, the, more freedom of movement. Um, we were part of what the group of Eyewitness Palestine, what they were doing, um, they brought us to the, um, the village or the city of Hebron. And there we were guided by a Palestinian that was born and raised in, in the region. And as we were uh, moving around the community, we had to stop and show identification. And there were places that this young man could not travel in his own city, but as an American, I could. And um, I'm not, um, I don't have any ties to the region. I'm not uh, Palestinian um, or Israeli. I'm not, um, I'm not uh, Muslim or, uh, or Jewish. Uh, I was just, you know, uh, you know, on the, on the tour and by having an Amer American passport, there were places that I could go in his neighborhood that he couldn't. Um, so that was, uh, I found that uh, quite odd. Um, also the, the fact that there's, um, the, the, you know, you traveling through checkpoints, um, the, 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 how it's impacting children. Uh, we were ha we had an opportunity to uh, to talk to children um, while we were there. The children uh, that are in the occupied territories are uh, are treated different um, than uh, children that are that are maybe living in the same area but are living in settlements. So if a if a teenager is arrested for for something. Um, if they're uh, a Jewish citizen, that even though they're living in settlements, which are deemed uh, illegal by international law, they'll go through a civilian court like a, like a child would here. But the children, um, the Palestinian children, they'll go through um, a military court. Um, often um, they are taken, their parents don't know where they're going. Um, they don't have access to legal counsel as they should. Uh, they are signed, there are course to sign um, uh, documents that are in Hebrew, not in Arabic. Um, so they don't know uh, what they're signing. Um, so that it's, it's, a, it's an issue uh, that trickles down even to the, the children in the region. And um, uh, another thing, one of the neighborhoods that um, Suzanne had mentioned, um, um, it's the organization is uh, called the, the Tent of Nations. We actually went to that neighborhood as well when we were there. Um, on this delegation. And the the gentleman that owns the property now, um, he's basically surrounded by settlers and they want uh, his, his property as well. And he explained to us that it's not very common for folks to have documentation of prior ownership for, for property, but they actually do. So they have documentation that says the, the land was passed to him from his father 
and then um, and then previously from um, his grandfather to his father. So they have the proper documentation, but still the settlers around them are are trying to uh, to confiscate that land as well. So they've been in an ongoing battle just to keep the land that um, has been promised to them. But the settlers will come in, um, it's farmland. Um, they'll come in and uh, destroy their uh, uh, their olive trees um, by either burning them or uprooting them completely. Uh, but we were able to, to see all of this uh, firsthand. And I think by going on that trip, like I said, I you know through through my education and volunteering, I, I knew what was happening. But when you see everything firsthand and you're hearing the stories of the Palestinians and how um, the occupation is so impactful on them, that to me it it, it kind of solidified um, where my activism needs to be focused. Because like I said, um, just using the um, the document of the Universal Declaration of uh, of Human Rights. Um, the Palestinians aren't afforded any of these uh, these rights, and as Suzanne had mentioned, you know, there's billions of tax dollars that are going to Israel that are fueling basically um, the the occupation. So, as as an American citizen, while while I was there, I, you know, for lack of a better word, like I was I was embarrassed because I see where our funding is going. Like there, you know, we have we documented. Um, uh, spent um, tear gas canisters in a refugee camp that said, you know, made in the United States. When we were in the city of Hebron, we were taught that um, that some of the settlers there, um, a vast majority of the settlers that are very, um, uh, very, very violent to the Palestinians that are living there are actually um, American citizens that have moved to Israel from, um, from Brooklyn, New York. Um, so to to know that there's American citizens that are treating the Palestinians in, in such a um, uh, uh, in such a disgraceful way, and on top of that, the government is just continuing the um, um, continuing this with with the continued aid that doesn't reach the Palestinians. It's just it was a matter of you know uh, I feel like that it's my responsibility to educate our community. Um, the Partners for Palestine group, that's a, a primarily what we focus on is um, education and advocacy. So what we want to do is educate our community on what's happening in the region. So then we can go to our elected officials and, and let them know, you know, it's, it's great that as an American, you know, uh, we can provide um, aid to different nations that are that are in need. But we don't want it to go if it's going to be oppressing a population, whether it be in Palestine or anyplace else. Um, so we want to give our community the tools to speak to our elected officials in order to tell them that, you know, if, if this is what you're supporting, then we're not going to support you. And, um, you know, they're they're working for us um, and we can vote them out if, if that's the case. You know, when it comes election time, you know, our, our voices can be heard at the ballot box to make sure that, you know, Americans uh, and our funding is is being spent uh, responsibly. Thanks, Alicia. Mm -hmm. I I uh, I was really interested in knowing more too about the Eyewitness Palestine group that you went with. That is, is that's still available for people who would like to go and have a similar experience. Yes, they still they. Um, I I think because of COVID, they're not doing any delegations right now, but they have a number of different delegations. Um, uh, 
throughout the year. The one that I attended was um, uh, detention, incarceration, and political prisoners. So we got to speak to a lot of people that ha have been affected in, in, in that manner. Um, but they have uh, other delegations that go on during harvest time. So you can assist with harvesting. Um, also, there's uh, there's been a lot of um, of connection with the uh, with the Black Lives Black Lives Matter movement here in the United States. Um, so they have had um, different delegations that will connect activists um, uh, in that way as well. Um, but uh, right now, I don't think that there's any upcoming uh, delegations. But you can always visit the website to see uh, when they're when they're going to be doing them. And I do know that during COVID, they were doing virtual um, uh, presentations as well. Yeah. That. Well, great. Um, I had a little different experience. I wish I had known about Eyewitness Palestine back in 2004 when I first went, but I went by myself. <laughs> I, I wanted to go. I had founded the Interface Peace Initiative in Rhode Island, and people were beginning to ask me to speak as this, as this program developed. And I realized that I wouldn't have any credibility if I hadn't gone and seen it for myself. So using the wonderful contacts I'd made in four different faith communities um, through that through that work, I was able to go and stay in the homes of Christians, Muslims, and Jews, and celebrated Rosh Hashanah with a Jewish rabbi and his family in Jerusalem, stayed with a Muslim farmer and his wife, who was a, an English teacher, uh, in the Northern West Bank, and stayed with Palestinian Christian family and in a convent um, in Bethlehem. So being able to see the situation through the eyes of each of those three faith communities was really important to me. Um, and subsequent trips, I also made sure to spend time with people, with Jews, Christians, and Muslims. I've met um, met with a Holocaust survivor whose son was killed by Palestinians in a uh, in the Northern West Bank, uh, met with Palestinians who've lost family members too to the conflict. So it there are many ways to go, but it's important to find a group that doesn't have an agenda uh, set when you go so that you can really try to get a good understanding of what's happening. Yeah, that's what, with with the group that that we went with. Um, there was about thirty people. Um, there were uh, Christians, Muslims, and Jews that were on the 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 delegation, and we spoke to um, activists on the ground from all three faiths as well. So, um, if anybody is interested in going, I would definitely recommend. Um, if not Eyewitness Palestine, there are other organizations that do similar uh, trips. I would definitely recommend uh, connecting with one of those types of organizations because the people that they were able to put us in front of in the matter of you know two and a half weeks was just incredible. We went all throughout the um, Israel and the occupied um, uh, Palestinian territories. We, we were not um, we did not go through um, Gaza at all. Um, but we still had an opportunity to speak with a lot of different activists and how it's uh, how the occupation is affecting not only the Palestinians, but um, the uh, Israelis as well. Um, I think maybe two days after we had left, there was um, there was an attack in a in a a cafe in Tel Aviv, there was a Palestinian that had, um, went in and um, there was a stabbing attack. 
And the, the mayor of Tel Aviv actually mentioned, he was like, this thing is, these types of things are going to continue to happen as long as there is an occupation. So it's not just affecting the, the, the Palestinians in, in the area. Um, it's, it's affecting, you know, the, the Israelis too. It affects all three of the, the religions that are there. So, so it's, it's important to, to recognize that. Sure. And like I said, for the security of Israelis, you have to understand what's happening to the Palestinians mm -hmm. and vice versa. Um, I think we have construction going on. Do you hear a buzzing sound? Oh, no, you're fine. <laughs> okay, if you do, I'll mute, mute it. Um, but I think you mentioned one thing too about the Jewish people that went on your trip. Um, that's one of the one of the most wonderful things about this journey is how many Jewish people have been involved, how many of them are saying that the actions of the government of Israel did not represent the, their understanding of their faith and their wonderful Jewish tradition, and that this racism, this overt uh, discrimination, and this uh, supremacy of one group over another are total, totally antithetical to their understanding of what it means to be part of the Jewish faith. Also, as Christians, it's certainly um, against our faith to allow this kind of thing to go on. And one thing I, I will say is that one of the most important recognitions for me is that it's okay to advocate for Christians. It's okay for Christians to advocate for Christians in the Holy Land. It's okay for Christians to advocate for Muslims. Jews advocate for Christians and Muslims. We can all recognize that each group deserves equality. Each group deserves equal rights. And when they don't have them, then it's incumbent upon us to speak up and uh, make sure that this doesn't go without consequence. So, yeah, I think it's important not to focus on um, labels. So, yes. so let's not talk about the Israel uh, Israelis versus um, the um, Israelis versus the Palestinians or the Muslims versus the Jews or the Christians, but just look at it as a humanitarian issue. Right. There are people in the region that don't have access to um, to clean water. They don't have the freedom to to move around freely to go to school or to get medical attention. Um, as you had mentioned earlier about Gaza, that's basically you know for uh, more than a decade now, the people in Gaza are basically living in an open air prison. Mm -hmm. um, and in 2012, the UN had put out a report that by 2020 which is now, you know, behind us, um, if nothing changes in Gaza, it's going to be unlivable. So, uh, so there has been no improvements. The blockade is, is still there. And yet the, the Palestinians are, are, are not, um, are, are not getting any, the, the, any kind of aid that go, um, to, there's no aid that goes in there. Um, everything's monitored as far as, you know, simple things like food, water, um, uh, medication, that sort of thing. Every time we hear that the, there's there's attacks um, between um, Gaza and uh, Israel, uh, the Israelis have the opportunity to rebuild, but in Gaza, they can't even get building material to, to rebuild after these conflicts happen. So 
so it's important to not put, I, I don't think we need to put labels on who's at fault or who's doing what and just look at the humanitarian crisis and, and, and address it as that. It's a good point, thank you. Well, thank you both. I have um, so many questions, but I was wondering if there's anything that you want to share, anything that's on your mind as you look at your notes, I mean, anything you want to share. Um, if not, we'll move right into the questions. But I was wondering, because I was thinking about some of the college students that I work with, or even some of the people that I work with, even like, like you know, my mom or even my wife. But I was wondering if you could make a comment on kind of the history of the occupation. The history of the conflict. Um, what is at the roots of this conflict? Maybe just uh, offer a, a brief overview on the history. Mm -hmm. That's a big topic, <laughs> <laughs> and I I think discretion is the better part of valor. <laughs> I would I would it would be a mistake to to launch that completely right now. Uh, um, but we have anticipated that question and we've devoted an entire section of our website to it. So I would urge people to go there and look at the history of the conflict, the history of Palestine, um, the and, and I think maybe at, at that time we could have another session and discuss what's there. Alicia, would you agree or? Well, I, I would just say that um, a, a military operation or um, uh, a, um, the, the occupation that, that's happening, a military occupation, that's supposed to be a, uh, a temporary thing. Mm -hmm. And this was it was put in place after the war in 1967. So that's over 50 years ago. So uh, if, if you don't need to be a politician to see that what the what tactics the Israeli government is using is not working. <laughs> you know, um, they're saying, you know, we're, we're, we do these different things in in, um, in the space of security. But um, through some of my research, some of the, the military's orders that that are in place, some of them I can see that, you know, would make sense um, as far as, you know, uh, protesting and that sort of thing. But some of them, you know, there's a military order. to the, So Palestinians can't sell fruit off the back of, uh, of, uh, of a donkey, you know, like in a cart. Um, they have to get permission on what type of plants they can plant in the yard. This has nothing to do with security, but because of the military occupation, those things are, are, are in place. So, um, so we need One to. One other thing about the occupation too is that is that there the, the terms of occupation are really clearly defined in the um, in international law, and yet Israel is is doing things that are directly counter to those terms, like taking resources out of the West mm -hmm. Bank, taking resources, trucking them into Israel. Um, withdrawing water from the uh, uh, aquifers underneath the West Bank for their own citizens use. Um, the, the occupation is supposed to be a temporary thing administered mm -hmm. by a, uh, a military until a, a different resolution can be found. But Israel's uh, government just this week was uh, has proposed or will be considering a rule to turn over administration to a cabinet member of the Netanyahu government and therefore 
the administration will be come under a political wing of the government rather than under the military. So there's an awful lot that is not legal about the occupation mm -hmm. and it's getting worse. I appreciate your response and we'll be sure to send everybody who's listening to this information on the website so that they can read some of the history. Um, another question for you, you all, your work in Palestine, how is it being received by the Palestinian people? And can you share with us some stories about your work there and with the people and how it's being received? I can say one thing that I think on day two, <laughs> when, when I was there, um, there was a, um, a young woman that was um, uh, taking us around uh, some, some places around in the, the old city. And she said, she said very clearly, she's like, we'll, we'll be okay. We don't need any type of aid um, from the United States or anything else or any other nation, but stop supporting the Israeli government. That's what, she was very clear on that. Stop writing that blank check to the Israeli government and then we'll be okay. And that that kind of that the simplicity of it was just, you know, like like how do we how how are we moving forward and not taking like that kind of simple advice? And that, like I said, that was on like day two <laughs> of my trip. You know, that's a really important point, Alicia. And um, related to what you said, Palestinians don't want charity. They are perfectly able to grow food, they have high standards of education and achievement. They have always been self-sustaining and proud people. And yet the system that's been put in place is strangling them. Um, it Just to, to describe the uh, situation, Israel has built um, what's called a matrix of control throughout the West Bank. Um, we already know Gaza over on the left is completely surrounded by a wall. The matrix of control in the West Bank includes walls that meander not on the border of Israel, but through deep inside the Palestinian territory, separating towns and villages from each other. Um, it, with many checkpoints so that commerce is impeded, with uh, difficulty for the students to get to school. I was visiting in a village of East Jerusalem, um, a part of East Jerusalem where Palestinian doctors who used to live across the street from the hospital had to go a half hour around to an opening in the wall, which now runs down the middle of the street between their homes and the hospital that they have to visit several times a day. So this is re relevant to what um, Alicia was talking about. The economy cannot survive. The economy cannot grow as long as people are um, finding themselves faced with segregated roads, roadblocks, walls, fences, and other means of separating people from each other. I have a, another question for you all, and that is, what is the justification that the United States is using to use our tax dollars to go to Israel? What 
justification are we using? And then the second part of that question is, what justification is the Israeli government using to continue with this occupation? Well, like I said before, the Israeli government, um, their, their go-to answer is, this is for security. And I think a lot of times uh, the U.S. government, their go-to answer is, that's our ally, that's the only democracy in the Middle East. If you go there and see how life is on the ground, that they're not operating as a democracy. The Palestinians that, that are there, they don't have a voice. Um, as we had mentioned before, um, with the occupation, the occupying power, whether it's you know here or any place else, they have a responsibility to um, uh, to basically protect the people that they're occupying, um, and and that's not happening. They're not doing that. Instead, they're they're oppressing them, and 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 they and they want them out. They want them out of the region. What do you think, Suzanne? You want to answer that question? Um, as far as the well, as far as why the U.S. is supporting Israel, um, it goes back, I believe, to the time when Israel was established. There's a lot of guilt in this country about what we allowed to have happened to uh, the victims of the Holocaust. To there were people who came seeking um, refuge. Uh, on our shores in the US and they were turned away. And so the Holocaust happened in Europe and yet the Palestinians are now paying, uh, some of them feel they are paying the price for a world that ignored the plight of the Jewish people when they needed a place of refuge. And so, uh, that I think plays into the justification for supporting Israel and being enthusiastic about Israel. It, it has been a place for Jews to go and practice their faith and be feel safe from persecution. Um, and that's important to recognize. I think that a lot of the reasons that that the U.S. supports Israel is because of the huge arms trade and the, the fact that our military complex is supported to such a large degree by Israeli purchases of weapons. And um, those weapons are actually paid for by our donations to Israel. And then Israel turns around and buys weapon systems for us. So it's... Um, that's another thing that factors into it. The other, another thing is that there are wonderful Jewish communities here in the U.S. and um, they have been taught to uh, identify Israel with Judaism. There is a wonderful new film, I think Alicia and I have both seen, called um, Israelism. And it is about the awakening of a lot of Jewish Americans to what's happening in the Holy Land and what has, and the, the ways in which the narrative they were given is not the narrative that has, that they can be confident in anymore. So there are many reasons for our support of it. And Israel uses the defense, of course, that they have to protect Israelis. When you look at the 
casualties, the number of deaths and injuries over the years, um, there are overwhelmingly many, many times more is more Palestinians being killed and injured and wounded and imprisoned um, than Israelis. So I hope that answers your question. It does, it does, thank you. Now, a lot of the people who are listening to this are laity in the Florida conference, clergy in the Florida conference, and they may be wondering, okay, well, this is something that my church wants to get involved in. What are some next steps for them? We have a speakers, we have a speakers bureau that we're starting. Um, and if they would like people from our organization to come and meet with them and explore where they are as a congregation um, and how they might implement a learning process for their church, then we would be happy to help with that. And you can contact us again through our website, partnersforpalestine.org. Okay, we'll be sure to send that information. Um, and one of the things that I hear um, you all saying, uh, at least especially, is vote. Vote, yes. right? <laughs> right? Vote and, and find out what politicians are supporting um, and what politicians are not. So, okay, right. my, last, my last question for you both um, is, is specifically for Generation Z, for the younger population, college students, high school students. What is their role? What words of wisdom do you have for them, um, the younger generation? What would you like to say to them? Oh, you want to go first, Alicia? Sure. <laughs> um, I think um, to, just to reiterate, um, to vote. That is, um, I, I don't know that uh, um, our younger generation, I don't know if they understand the, the power of their voice. Uh, but I would definitely encourage them uh, to vote, educate yourself. Um, I think Diane or uh, Suzanne had mentioned earlier that um, we hear a lot of what's happening after it happens to the Israeli population. Um, we don't always uh, we don't always hear what's happening um, with the uh, Muslim and uh, Christian uh, uh, folks in the uh, in the region. Um, but educate yourself. Like I said, I you know I was in school. Um, and this, this was my focus uh, for my education. And I thought I knew what was going on over there, but it was, it, but, but to see firsthand what was happening, it was, it was completely, it was, it was completely uh, an eye-opening experience for, for sure. Um, so definitely uh, educate yourself on, uh, on the topic. And uh, like I said, it's uh, uh, before, uh, we need to focus on the humanitarian crisis that's happening. You know, it's, it's not about taking sides. It's about, you know, uh, you know, everybody in the region wants to live, you know, peacefully and with dignity and they should. Um, so there, there, there's no, you know, we have it because of this or, you know, you can't have it because of that. We, we, no, they need to make sure that um, everybody is over there at, at any time is living, uh, you know, peacefully and has all the rights um, uh, available to everybody. You're right. And, and those are such important points. And I will say on voting, it's not a matter of Democrat versus Republican. It's a matter of which members of Congress will take the time to learn about the situation from more than one source. So 
it's not a political issue, it's, but it's an, an issue that politicians need to learn more about. In my list that I made of the lessons for young people, I think one of the key things I've learned is one person really can make a difference. You can make a difference if you get involved. Alicia's already made a huge difference and she's part of the younger generation as far as I'm concerned. But um, there is, it, it, I, when I first went in 2004, I brought home handicrafts um, and sold them at churches here in this country. And I was able to raise $2,000, sent it back over to a minister that I had stayed with um, in Jerusalem. And he took it into the West Bank village where I had stayed and they used it to buy an old car and convert it to an ambulance. So when I went again in 2010, I was able to ride in the ambulance and see that just that one little initiative made a difference for that community. So um, don't underestimate what one person can do. Never generalize about people of any religion. Mm -hmm. uh, there are heroes and there are villains within every group. And when you hear people make sweeping statements about any group or religion, uh, silence is the safest choice. I've sat at many dinner parties when, you know, I wondered whether to bite my tongue or stand up. <laughs> um, silence is, is a selfish choice, though, and it's important to begin to gently nudge people toward a new understanding. Um, don't ever take anybody else's word for something. We have so many sources of information coming at us now in this, this media age, um, but find out for yourself. And you can do that in several ways. Do the research, compare and analyze um, your sources and form your own opinions. If you have an opportunity to go as I did and, and go independently and witness things, meet people from different faith communities, hear their narratives, um, that's really important. So don't take what we're saying here today as true. Go and find out for yourselves. Uh, it's, uh, I think another lesson, it's absolutely sure for you as young people to learn what is being done in America's name and with America's mm -hmm. dollars. Um, we, let's see, I think the other thing that I would like to say, and it goes back to my way of getting involved through this was actually to begin in a, a United Methodist Church and um, and to feel an experience of being led to learn more about this issue. Um, but when I was there, I felt that I could see the Holy Spirit alive in people of different faiths. So I guess that would be my, my thing for young people that I think the living Christ is alive in the world today. And if you join in a journey for justice, um, and commit your life to helping other people, um, you, you have opportunities to see that presence of the Holy Spirit in other people in unexpected places. And I guess that's the last thing to listen for God's voice in unexpected places. And um, if you're alive today, you have a purpose and there is a 
purpose, a reason for you and a contribution that you can make if you take the time to look, think outside the box, look beyond what you've always been told and um, learn about situations for yourself. That's great advice. Um, I hope that those who are listening will take that and run with it. And I, I hope that they would educate themselves on these issues. And we're happy to support your work. And I want to thank you both for your time and for all the information that you shared. It was very informative. I learned so much today. And this brings an end to our podcast and to our time together, unless there's anything that you all want to share, any kind of closing words or anything like that. Leisha? No, just, uh, but uh, just thank you for it, for having us today. Yes, thank you so much. This is sure. a, a really critical time to become involved and become informed. And thanks for making it possible. You know what, I will say um, uh, one more thing, uh, because I know that uh, uh, your audience uh, is is uh, mostly uh, younger folks. Um, one day when we were sitting, speaking with um, some of the uh, the students um, in um, in Ramallah, uh, we were hearing their stories about um, how uh, how they're being treated, and like I had mentioned, uh, you know, uh, the the military courts that they have to go through instead of civilian courts, um, their challenges with with school, and I asked, I was like. Isn't the government concerned that, you know, because this is a, the environment these children are growing up in, um, things that, you know, we would never imagine here in the United States. I was like, aren't the, the isn't the Israeli government concerned that they're basically raising, you know, um, people that are going to be um, violent in the future? And, uh, and they told me, they're like, no, um, a lot of this, they're, they're turning them into activists because they're growing up and they're seeing what's happening to their community and they want to, to, to fight for, uh, for their basic rights uh, so they can live peacefully. So I thought that was, that, that was, yeah. that was a very interesting uh, 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 take on, on uh, uh, their, uh, their, as, as they're growing up, you know, because yeah. you would think that they would be the, that they would be angry and, and act out violently, but they said, no, they're turning them into to activists. So, so that was something that I took away. Um, that was, that was positive. And, and on positive. that note, there's so much nonviolent protest that goes on all the time among Palestinians, but we only hear about it, about the violent incidents. Um, and, and that's unfortunate. So, um, do you have a quick second? I sure, was sure. able to share the screen. Do you see it? I do, yeah. Okay. Tell us about it. You do? All right. Mm -hmm. Just to leave people with a quick visual, um, this is the this is the Israel as we normally hear about it and think about it. Um, it is, it shows the gray areas, which are the Palestinian areas, the Gaza Strip on the left and the kidney-shaped, uh, lima bean-shaped area of the West Bank. But that's not really what it looks like. And I wanted to show you, um, this is a better, this helps give you a better understanding of the reality. When I was talking about the roadblocks, the settlements, um, the walls, 
the impediments to commerce and travel and normal daily life that Palestinians have to uh, live with. This is what has been created and it's a horrifying imprisonment of an entire people. The blue triangles are Israeli settlements built beyond the wall in violation of international law. The green line is what's supposed to be the armistice line that's the internationally recognized border of Israel. But you can see that the wall itself deviates from that line significantly. And all of the places with the red X's are checkpoints or, or um, openings in the barrier that has been built. Um, here's a little picture of the barrier. So you have a visual, this is in Bethlehem. It was taken by United Methodist and you can see the United Methodist logo on the wall. And this is a map card, which has been criticized for being overly simplistic, but I think it serves a very useful purpose of showing what has happened to the area that Palestinians had as, as their territory uh, in 1947 and on through to what is happening today. And this is 2005, but it's, there's, there's very little of Palestine left. So when people talk about a two-state solution to the problem, you know, it isn't there. They, they have taken so much that there is not a possibility of a separate territory until all the settlements are withdrawn. Sorry if I went over. No, that's great. You know, I look at all these visuals and, <laughs> and I, I just want to ask the question is, what is it about human beings that we're just obsessed with borders and division and hierarchies? Mm -hmm. And this is probably not a question you can answer, but this is, we, we see a lot of this in a lot of different places. What is it about the human psyche that we just can't seem to live together? What do you think? I think a lot of it's fear, you know, fear of the other, fear of the unknown. And we need to diffuse that fear by having people learn about each other. What do you think it is, Alicia? Um, I, th I think that, um, that they're, they're struggling with, um, I, I deserve something more so than, than, than somebody else. Because, like I said uh, uh, previously, um, um, the there's a there's a lot of these um, very far right um, uh, groups that want that that it's not that they don't want to give the Palestinians any rights; they actually want them off of their land. Um, and this is this is a little bit uh, different from uh, what we saw in South Africa, because in South Africa, the uh, the white South Af uh, South Africans were fine with the black South Af Africans staying in the region, um, but they were exploiting them. Whereas in Israel and Palestine, um, they they want the Palestinians completely out. Yeah, and when you take one group of people, one ethnic group and intentionally begin to replace them with another. Um, there's a reason that many people use the term ethnic cleansing. 
It doesn't have to be a violent, sudden process. Mm -hmm. It can be a slow, ongoing process, such as that that's taking place in, in the Holy Land today. So thank you again. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you, Alicia, for your time. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. And to everybody who's listening, we will follow up via email with some of the resources that were mentioned today. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us and we will be, try our best to connect you with resources. And we also invite you to invite, invite Suzanne to your church, invite their group to the church, go on their website, check out what's happening. And for Generation Z, I pray that you would begin the journey um, so that we can do our best to live into our baptismal vows and to do the work that God has called us to do. So thank you all for your time. And this ends our podcast for today. Thank, Thank you. you.